Judges chapter 19. Well, this is it. This is it. We prayed and prepared and worked and invited and got dressed up and here we are, the last service. It's been a blessing. I'm very thankful for the opportunity and the privilege to come. Your preacher's a good friend of mine, a dear friend, which uh, doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but I have very few friends <laughs> by choice. And so I, I do appreciate uh, being with uh, Brother and Mrs. Farinella. What a, what, just what a great week it's been. Uh, appreciate your church. It's exciting. Uh, I haven't been here for several years, I think probably eight years since the last time I came, but it's like a different church. There were a couple of times when the church was getting old unlike me, but getting old. But now there's so many young families and young people that uh, it's just, that's, that's, a, that's great. Appreciate all the hard work this week, the, the time that went into all the music and the specials. You know, we sit out here and get to enjoy them and a lot of times don't even think of the hours and hours of preparation. And then I want to say a special thank you to all you ladies who worked in the nursery Nursery workers are my favorite people, my favorite people. I, I thank God I never had to work in the nursery. It's one of the great joys of my life. But ladies, you sacrifice a preaching service. You could be in enjoying the specials, enjoying the choir, and uh, listening to the preaching. But instead, you choose to work in the nursery so that others can hear, and I'm very thankful for that. Judges chapter 19, let me, uh, before we get into it, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever invited somebody to church and they didn't come? Let me see your hand. Yeah. How many of you ever talked to somebody about getting saved and they didn't get saved? Let me see yeah. You know, sometimes we feel like if we've invited them or handed them a tract or maybe even witnessed to them, uh, sometimes we feel like, you know, we, we, we've done our job. You get the idea there are some people, and, and you, you can't convince somebody to get saved. I understand that. You certainly can't pressure them or preach them into getting saved. It's God that does the saving. We're just the messengers. But I don't know about you, sometimes I feel like we give up too quickly. I feel like we've done our job and now it's up to them. There, I pastored a church in Lebanon, Missouri... And there's another church in our town, a good Baptist church, certainly not as good as ours, but it's a good Baptist church. And when we went into evangelism, the pastor at the other church invited me for revival. So I, I asked our pastor, I said, you know, uh, what do you think? Should I, should I go and preach for him? And he said, well, the people who go there wouldn't come here, and you can be a help, so sure, go ahead and go. And so that Sunday morning when we got there, I'm looking around, 
And the whole church is filled with people who used to go to my church. It was like homecoming Sunday. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five. There were 53 people on Sunday morning that used to go to our church. And my very first reaction, I was mad. I thought, what's the matter with you people? How could you not love me? Why would you possibly leave? And uh, in this particular church, the pastor and the evangelist sat on the platform during the music program. And so I'm looking at all these people irritated until I started looking at them individually. And I, I saw this guy and I thought, well, you know, I knew he had some things going on, but... I didn't realize he was going to leave the church. And, and, and these folks, I, you know, I, I, I knew that there were some issues, but I didn't think it was a big deal, and now they're gone. And, and, and I began to wonder, as my attitude changed from mad to almost feeling a sense of responsibility, I began to wonder, you know, if I would have invested a little more time if I would have worked a little harder, if I, would have, if I would have tried to figure out with them how to fix the problem, if they'd have had to leave the church. And so I, I was thinking about this, and that very week in my devotions, I read the passage of Scripture that I'm going to preach from tonight, and, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Let's read the story. There's a... A fella, he's a, he's a Levite, and he has a concubine. Now, I've studied this and tried to figure out, honestly, I can't tell the difference between a wife and a concubine. I, I know their relations close enough that she would feel comfortable telling him how to drive. <laughs> you know, before Karen and I were married, she'd just sit there quietly and everything was fine. As soon as we got married... She became the expert. So this guy had, had, had a wife. We'll just, we'll call her his wife for the sake of the message. Now, we don't know how long they were married, but evidently there were some problems, some troubles. And he left her. Or I'm sorry, she left him. She went back to her father's house, but while she's there... She got involved in horrible immorality. And so you have this man whose wife has left him and become immoral, and now he's facing a dilemma. What should I do? Let's read the text and see what he did. If you're able to stand, I invite you to stand with me, please. Verse number one of Judges. Chapter 19, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim, who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine played the whore against him, and away, went away from him in, unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. And her husband arose. 
and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, having his servant with him and a couple of asses. And she brought him into, his, into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. Father, I pray that you'd bless the message tonight. I pray that you would use it to speak to hearts like that first time you gripped my heart with this passage. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be like this Levite, willing to just not give up. And we'll thank you in, Je in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated, please. They're married. Don't know how long they're married, but she leaves him. She's involved in horrible, horrible immorality. And now he's faced with a dilemma. What am I going to do? Well, according to Old Testament law, he could have her put to death. Death was the penalty for adultery, and she obviously was committing adultery. He could have had her put to death, but he said, I don't want to do that. Under the law of Moses, he could have given her a document of divorce. He could have said, you've been unfaithful, you've broken your marriage vows, you have been uh, immoral, and so uh, no more do I have responsibility for you. No more are you my wife. We are legally divorced. But he didn't do that. He could have said, you know, I, I, I hate it that she's gone, but I don't want her dead, and I don't want to divorce her. And so I'll just stay here and pray that God changes her heart. And if she ever comes back, if she's ever willing to repent, ever willing to make things right, if she ever comes back and lets me know that she was wrong, maybe we can make this marriage work. But he didn't even do that. The Bible says that he's the one that took the initiative. He arose and went after her. I don't know what his job was. I don't know if he had a store, a shop. If that's the case, he had to either hire somebody or turn it over to somebody to take care of it because he's going after his wife. Maybe he was a shepherd. Maybe he was a rancher. Maybe he was a farmer. He had to leave his flocks and leave his fields. Whatever his responsibilities were, this became preeminent. This became his highest priority. He didn't care about the money that he lost. And he wasn't concerned with how this is going to affect me. His one concern was, I have got to get my wife back. So he arose. And he went to her, and this is the part that really got me. It says he went to speak friendly unto her. That means to talk to her like a friend would talk to somebody who's in trouble. Oh, I understand if this marriage is ever going to work, she's going to have to repent, and they're going to have to work out their differences. But right now, he's concerned about her safety. He's worried about the choices she's making. And so he's going to her not to preach to her and not to remind her of the wrong that she's done and not to let her know that he's right and she's wrong. He's going as a friend to encourage her, 
to help her to open her eyes, to speak friendly unto her, to bring her back again. I remember when I was in college, I worked at a little church way out in the country, and I taught Sunday school on Sunday morning, and then somebody in the church would feed me, and all Sunday afternoon, my job was to knock doors, witness to people, tell them about the Lord, invite them to church. And so, uh, one particular day, I'm out knocking doors, and I knocked on a door, and a guy answers the door. And I said, hi, I'm Hal Hightower, and I'm visiting from Faith Baptist Church. He said, I'm watching football. Come on in. You can give me your spiel at halftime. <laughs> well, I like football. <laughs> so I came on in, and we watched football. It was just a few minutes till halftime. Halftime came, and he said, all right, let me hear it. I said, well, I'm inviting folks to church, but more importantly, I'm telling them about the Lord. And he says, you're talking about getting saved, aren't you? I said, well, yes, sir, I really am. And he said, he said well, I just got out of prison. <laughs> and while I was in prison, my wife got saved. And she's been after me to get to church. She says that, that it'll help me if I get saved. And I said, well, it, it will help you. He said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready yet. And so, you know, we had a little bit of conversation. I left him with some materials from the church. He says, come back anytime. I like football. So a couple weeks later, I came back. Knocked on the door. Hey, Mr. Taylor. He goes, hey, it's you. Come on in. We'll talk at halftime. <laughs> halftime, I said, Mr. Taylor, I've been praying for you. I, 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 I want you to, to I want you, I, I'd like you to come to church, of course, but more importantly, I want you to get saved. He said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. He says, I, I, I struggle with alcohol. He said, I've been trying to get victory. I, 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 he didn't use that word. He said, I've, I've, joined, uh, I've joined a program, but, but he said, I just, I just can't quit drinking. He said, I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed, nobody wants to hire an ex-con. My in-laws are on me all the time. He says, well, once I get this liquor out of my life, I'll get to church and maybe even get saved. And I tried to tell him, I said, well, Mr. Taylor, you, you get saved and God will help you clean up your life. But that didn't register with him. And so uh, I left. He said, you can come back anytime. I must have gone to his house, I don't know, 10, 12 times until football season was over. One day, I'm at church early and in walks Mr. Taylor. He's wearing a suit and a tie. And I said, Mr. Taylor, it's great to see you. He said, I got saved last night. Amen. There you go. You're catching on. Let me try that again. He said, I got saved last night. Yeah. And I said, well, praise God. Did somebody come to talk to you? He goes, no, let me tell you what happened. He said, my wife left me early in the week. She said she wasn't going to live with a drunk anymore. And if I ever get my life right, she might come back. He said, I was so discouraged. I thought I'm never going to get, I'm never going to quit drinking. My wife's never going to come back. I might as well just end it all. So I went over to the neighbors and borrowed a gun. Told them I had a problem with varmints. I borrowed a gun. And I brought it home and I loaded it. 
I sat on the bed trying to get the courage to do what I wanted to do. And I was such a coward, I couldn't even do it. I threw the gun down and I started bawling and I said, I, 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 I don't even have the guts to do this. Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares. Well, except maybe God. And that preacher that came knocking on my door, inviting me to church, He'd taken all that literature I'd given him, because every week I'm giving him tracts and pamphlets. He kept it in his drawer, and he got out all those tracts, and he read through them. And he got saved. He got saved. And I thought, thank God I kept going back. Thank God it wasn't basketball season. I'll be completely honest with you. I did not think Mr. Taylor would get saved. He's just one of those guys who knew what he ought to do, but he was never going to do it. But because I kept going back and kept going, and I didn't even realize I was having an impact on his life. But when he reached the lowest point and he thought, nobody cares about me, he said, well, God cares. And that guy that keeps knocking on my door, he cares. You know, sometimes we just give up too soon. Sometimes we just quit too early. Sometimes we just feel like we've done all that we can do. And we say, it's in God's hands now. And don't misunderstand, God can do anything, and we're just His servants, but God does use His people. So let's keep going back. Even if it doesn't make sense, and I'll tell you what doesn't make sense, is this guy going to chase down his concubine. Doesn't make sense. But he knew that it was the right thing to do, so he kept going back. Got anybody you've been working on and you just feel like giving up? Don't give up. Don't give up. I was pastoring in Missouri, and this young couple visited our church, filled out a visitor card, so... I went over to their house, and uh, his name was Gabe, and her name was Crystal. I said, it sure was a blessing to have you all come to church. I said, the main thing, do you know for sure you're saved? And Gabe said, yeah, I got saved as a teenager. Crystal said, I got saved in vacation Bible school. And they both had good testimonies. I said, well, are, are, are you looking for a church? He said, well, we just got married, and she goes to this church, and I don't like it. And I went to this church, and she didn't like it. So we thought we'd come to your church and see if we liked it. I said, well, great. It was wonderful to have you. Did you like it? And he said, no. <laughs> he said, you're, you're, you're too loud for one thing. <laughs> he said, for another thing, he, he said, don't take this wrong, but you act like a bully just telling everybody what to do. I said, well, come back this week. I'll be nicer. And I convinced them to come back. And I went to their house again the next week. I said, was it any better? He said, no, it's worse. <laughs> he said, in fact, we've decided, I've decided, Crystal likes it, but I don't like it. I've decided we're never coming back to your church. I said, well, then what are you going to do? He said, we're going to keep looking around until we find a church we both agree with. I said, well, while y'all are church shopping, do you mind if I stop by every now and then? 
help yourself, but we're not coming back. So I waited about two or three weeks, went back to their house. I said, how's your search coming? Ah, we can't find anything. Come try us. No, we're never trying you. Oh, sorry. We're never trying you again. And I went back a couple of weeks later. I said, you find anything yet? There there are, in in our county, which only has 27,000 people, there were 53 Baptist churches. So they can really shop around, right? I went back for five or six months, once or twice a month, and and they'd gone through just about every Baptist church in the county. I said, you find anything yet? No. I said, well, I'm praying for you. He said, we're just trying to find the Lord's will. I said, well, if I was the Lord, I would tell you to go to our church. (laughs) He said, we're not coming back. Finally, after probably nine months, here they come in the back door. At invitation, they walk forward, and I greeted them. I said, what are you coming for? And Gabe said, we want to join the church, but we both have to get right with God first. They split up, went to the altar, prayed there, and and sobbing, just confessing their sins to God. And then he told me later, he said the first Sunday we knew that this is where we should be, but we knew if we came to church here we'd have to change our life, and we didn't want to. But, but God just convinced us this was the place we ought to be. Amen. Not long after, Gabe got called to preach. Went off to Bible college. While he was in college, we went into evangelism He graduated college and came back and went on staff at our home church. Well, that was still our church, and I don't know, probably five, six years after he got out of college, Karen and I were home at Christmas time, and so we were, it was a New Year's service, and they were having testimonies. And Crystal, Gabe's wife, stood up. By now, they had about ten kids. And she said, you know, I thank God. I thank God for a church that preaches the Bible where we can raise our children. She said, I thank thank God that my husband and I get to serve the Lord in a great church like this. Then she started to cry. And she said, I thank God. And I was sitting right in front of them or right behind them. And she pointed at me and she said, and I thank God that he didn't give up on us. How many folks do you know that have drifted off and they're really nowhere yet? Let's go get them. Let's go. Sure, there are going to be some issues. There are going to be some things we have to take care of. But understand, if, if, if I lived in this area within 40 miles, I would go to Wooden Valley Baptist Church. This is the place where the Bible is preached, where, where you learn to serve and live for God. And so I think everybody who lives in this area ought to go to church here. So let's go get them. Let's go get them. 
Well, you know, they, you know what we do? We make excuses. Well, they just can't take the hard preaching. Well, I don't know. Maybe if we were a little friendly, they might learn to enjoy the hard preaching. Well, they weren't of us, you know. It's the days of apostasy. How in the world are we going to reach people if we don't get the heart to reach people? Let's go get them. Let's, let's get out of our little comfortable shell and go get them. When I first became pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church in Missouri, one of our uh, older fellows said, Hey, there's a young couple that came here for a while. They're not coming anymore. You should, you should go talk to them. His name is Roger. Her name's Kathy. I said, Well, you want to go with me? He goes, no, but I'll give you the address. So I got the address, drove out in the country to Roger and Kathy's house, knocked on the door. Kathy answered the door, and she said, Roger's at work, but, but we're not coming. I said, how'd you know I was going to invite you? She said, I just know how you preachers are. I said, well, you know, the main thing is, are you saved? And she said, yeah, I got saved when I was a kid, and I didn't pursue it. I said, well, well, how come you're not coming? She said, we're not going to talk about it, but Roger's mad. I said, are you mad? She said, no. I said, why don't you come? Well, yeah, I guess I will then. So <laughs> Kathy started coming to church. In fact, Kathy came to church, realized she wasn't saved, and she got saved. Amen. Well, Roger worked nights, so I decided to go visit Roger in the daytime. I drove out to his house. I got there, and Roger had a little boat, a little fishing boat. It's a piece of junk, actually. But he, he, he's out there working on the boat. So I, I parked the car, and I walked over, and I said, uh, you must be Roger. He said, if you're the preacher, I'm not talking to you. I said, well, I'm the preacher, and you're talking to me right now. <laughs> he said, but I'm not going to church. I said, why aren't you going? He said, because I don't want to. And he left the boat, and he went back in the house. I thought he was going to do something, come out again, but he just stayed in the house. He didn't answer. Okay, I'll fix you, buddy. I came back a couple weeks later. I pulled in the driveway. As Roger was out working in his garden. As soon as he saw me pull in, he left what he was doing, went in the house. Nothing. Nothing. Hey, I know you're in there. He wouldn't answer the door. I like a challenge. So I came back the next day, but I parked down the road. He, he was out mowing the lawn. And I snuck into his yard and got in front of the door. <laughs> he saw me, stopped the lawnmower, came up, and I said, you're not going in the house till I tell you what I got to tell you. I said, you claim to be saved, but you act like you're a child of the devil. And I just want you to know, Roger, if you really are saved, God would probably kill you with an attitude like this. I put my hands down and walked away. 
In my life, I have never told somebody God might kill them. I, I don't do that. I don't know why I said that. That was on Friday. On Sunday, Roger came to church. Not only did he come Sunday morning, he came Sunday night. Didn't come Wednesday, but he came the next Sunday morning. Came the next Sunday night. Didn't come Wednesday, he came the next Sunday morning. The next Sunday night, he walked the aisle. I said, Roger, are you saved? He says, I'm saved, but i got to get right with God. He went to the altar, and he is crying so loud, it was uncomfortable through the whole auditorium. I mean, he is weeping and sobbing and snorting. We had to change the... No, I'm not. not But the guy, and he he got finished, and he came up, and he threw his arms around me. Now, I'm more of a shaker than a hugger. But he threw his arms around me. He's slobbering all over my, my shoulder. And he said, Preacher, I got right with God tonight. I said, Man, that's great, Roger. And he pulled me back. He goes, You don't get it. I got right with God. And I mean, Roger got on fire for the Lord. He, he started working a bus route, and before long, he was helping in junior church, and then he got his own junior church class, and he came to me. He'd been, oh, I guess maybe two years in the church on fire for God. He came to me, and he said, he said I think maybe God wants me to be a preacher. Now, I wouldn't give this advice to most anybody, but I knew Roger. I said, here's what you do. You put your house for sale today. And as soon as it sells, you pack up and move to Bible college. If you get there in the middle of the year, get your job, save some money. If you get there in the summertime, then you just start school and figure out how to pay your bills later. He put his house for sale. It wasn't two weeks. Somebody bought his house. Roger went off to Bible college, came home, telling me that God had called him to the mission field. He went to the Dominican Republic. He was there for 12 years serving God as a missionary, had to come home because of medical issues, and he's pastoring a church today. He asked me, he goes, why did you keep coming back to our house? I said, I like a challenge. I said, if you hadn't have been so obnoxious, I probably would have quit coming. <laughs> but he told me, he said, our, our family's together today because you kept coming. And we're serving God today because you kept coming. You say, well, does everybody that you bug get right with God? No, I could give you a thousand stories of people that I begged to come back to church and they never did. But let me tell you something. Gabe and Crystal, Roger and Kathy and Mr. Taylor, they're worth all the failures. You say you think you wasted your time? Not even close. Not even close. That's why I warn our people now. I say, look, once you join, you're stuck because I'm not letting you get away. Everybody in here is thinking of somebody that you've witnessed to that you ought to go back to. Some of you have friends that have gotten away from the Lord, and you talk to them, but you know, you don't want to preach to them. I get that. 
But right now, God's speaking to your heart, telling you you need to go back to him. This Levite went after his concubine. Regardless of what people would think, regardless of what he had to sacrifice, he arose and went after her to speak friendly to her, to bring her home again. Folks, there is a whole bunch of people that need people who care. Let's decide to care. Father, thank you tonight for the privilege to just take this passage of Scripture and give some illustrations. Lord, I believe that if we get serious, get burdened about lost people, it'd make a huge difference. Lord, there are a lot of folks that have gotten away from you that maybe we could salvage if we just get serious about it. So, Lord, I pray you'd use this invitation. I might be preaching to some folks who have been away from the Lord. And they need to get back right. I'm certainly preaching to some folks that have unsaved family, loved ones, neighbors, people they've witnessed to, friends who are out of the will of God. So, Lord, I pray that you'd bless in this invitation. With your eyes closed, just want to simply ask this question. How many of you say... For the hell I needed that message. God challenged my heart. While you were preaching about those people, God was speaking to me about some people that I know that I've got to go after. I've got to try again. I've got to see if God won't change their heart and change their mind. There's some people God's laid on my heart. I want you to pray for me that I have the courage and the opportunity and just the right words that I might reach them again for Christ. Would you raise your hand if God spoke in your heart tonight? Thank you all over the room. Let's stand. Father, bless.